0: Yeah. I forget I, tried, I made it here, sorry, that, can you do anything more? Okay, I am out right <laughs> Some right to so, um, yeah. I can't say that. I don't know. I <laughs> Can anybody see if that projector's on? Oh. <laughs> Hour? Hour. You do I to people. do I My for I used twenty dollars once like a uh, I you know. <laughs> three. And, um, and it was like, uh, I was <laughs> yeah. I was going to go I was going to go I was I was going to go to yeah, like, 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 go. like, oh, like, the I was to go I was going to go to the I was Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So is this about who we're expecting? Yeah. This is my first lecture in this course, so. This is cell biology, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, you're. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm We're the only probably here today. I think this is one of these your last two lectures or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is like now for something completely different, I guess. Um, my name Dr. Belland. I'm in uh, uh, even I don't like saying it MIB, Microimmunology and Biochem uh on 8th floor, so if anybody has any questions, feel free to come over and ask. And today we're kind of, uh, today and the next lecture, basically, we're trying to do the impossible. Uh, it's just to give you a kind of overall image of bacteria uh, in two lectures, which is absolutely ridiculous. There are millions and millions of different types of bacteria in different systems and microbiomes, which you may have heard of. And, um, so when we go through this, you know, for almost every single point I'll make, there, you can find exceptions for them in the bacterial kingdom, okay? So, remember, I'm just trying to paint a kind of broad picture, um, and don't kind of, you know, hold me to every single thing that we say here. This is just to give you uh, an overall comparison of how bacterial systems in general different differ from eukaryotic systems. Okay, and if you don't mind... Kind of wrecked my knee in a bike accident, so um. and I'm half blind. Where are we? Now? Okay. So the title of the lectures are simple systems, bacteria one and bacteria two, and what we'll do is go through some general concepts uh, involving bacteria. And the learning objectives are really to try and understand the general cellular organization of bacteria, and the, the kind of roles of uh, cell wall associated components in bacterial cell biology. Um, in this lecture, we're also going to look at some of the processes Uh, involved in basically binary fission which for virtually all bacteria is the method they use to replicate Um, and then we're just going to go through and sort of highlight the differences between prokaryotes and eukaryotes in terms of structure and cell division okay so in general bacterial cellular structure um, Bacteria are single-celled organisms, and they form one of the uh, major three branches uh, in the kingdom of life, basically. So, essentially, uh, the bacteria are prokaryotes, and these are what referred to as eubacteria or common bacteria. These are the bacteria that we hear about all the time, pseudomonas and Staph and strep, hopefully, not too often about them. The other major kingdom are the archaea. Now, these are in general prokaryotes, and these are the bacteria that are termed extremophiles, okay, that that live in. um, One comes in, one goes out. Is that how it works? Okay, as I mentioned, I'm Dr. Bellin um, and I'm on the eighth floor of the MSB building across the street. Um, okay, the archaea or, or extremophiles, as I mentioned, these are the, the sort of odd bacteria that live in hot springs, for example, or live in high molar salt or um, you know, these these very unusual kind of bacteria, you're not, most people are not very exposed to these, and so they're a little stranger, but they have uh, sort of features of bacteria and eukaryote, okay, so they're thought to be kind of almost an evolutionary kind of link between them. Now, the eukaryote uh, are the eukaryotes, and you've been studying them basically all year, okay? So these are all other um, animal uh, organisms and the plant, basically, okay? So in terms of the eubacteria, the common bacteria, they lack internal membrane-bound compartments. Okay, so they're a single cell and there are virtually no internal membrane compartments. Therefore, one of the major differences, if you think about it, is that you have the uh, DNA template in direct contact uh, with the ribosomes. Okay, and one of the characteristics of bacteria is they link these processes. Okay, so um, when the RNA polymerase uh, is is essentially producing message RNA, ribosomes bind immediately to that message. Okay, so what you see is the RNA polymerase is producing the message RNA, but immediately upon producing it, the ribosomes are bound. Okay, so you get this kind of simultaneous uh, transcription and translation. Now, in the overall picture of things, uh, this is a big difference between prokaryotes and eukaryotes. If you think about it, Uh, in eukaryotes, you have to transcribe genes, then you have to transport the message out of the nucleus, where it associates with ribosomes, Okay? And this process takes much longer. So this is thought to be one of the kind of um, primary advantages, if you would say, to being a single cell organism. In other words, they can ex- uh, respond to changes in the environment very rapidly, okay? where it takes uh, eukaryotes you know, substantially longer to change the mRNA population that they're translating. So this is just a kind of uh, uh, an indication that, you know, when a lot of people think about it, they think about, well, these are the least successful organisms to the most successful. But in actual fact, bacteria are extremely successful. In other words, they make up a much larger biomass uh, than people, for example. Well, even people, when you consider the microbiome, okay, the, these are different bacterial populations that are commensal in people. Uh, in terms of cell number, for each of us, there's probably uh, 10 times as many bacterial cells in a healthy human being than there are human cells. Okay, now, in terms of mass, obviously that's much less, but in terms of number of organisms, we're really 10 times more (coughs) bacteria than we are human cells. Okay, just a kind of quick look. There's a lot of different bacterial cell shapes. and sizes, Uh, the morphological changes uh, reflect essentially the composition of the membranes and the cell walls and how they move around. Uh, The major divisions um, for the purpose of these lectures are what are termed gram-positive or gram-negative bacteria. Okay. Um, We'll talk more about this. Uh, there are many other important types but this is the kind of central division. Now we, we see ba- uh, bacteria that are essentially spherical called uh, cocci uh, you see bacteria that are slightly elongated cocco uh, sort of comma-shaped bacteria for example vibrio, vibrio cholera uh, this is the kind of standard shape, this kind of rod-shaped organism, Um, organisms like Bacillus and E. coli and what have you. And then you have some more unusual-shaped bacteria. For example, uh, the Spirillum are kind of corkscrew-shaped. The Spirochetes are another interesting group of organisms. For example, the the Lyme disease organism in that they have a central axial filament. And these bacteria move by sort of uh, decreasing their length and increasing their length. So they move like a corkscrew. Okay. So this is the kind of theme that I'm going to use to try and um, show you the differences. Predominantly between the gram-positive organisms, so this side, versus gram-negative, okay? So, first of all, bacteria have common features, okay? And a couple are shown here. For example, the cytoplasmic membrane. Uh, All bacteria are bound uh, by this sort of membrane, okay? You also have chromosomes, virtually always double stranded circular DNA uh, You have the translation apparatus the ribosomes um, which we'll see are different than eukaryotic ribosomes and so these features uh, are important to all bacteria Okay, so they're bound by a cytoplasmic membrane uh, that's involved in many functions including things like facilitated diffusion and active transport, electron transport and oxidative phosphorylation. This is how they they generate um, basically energy molecules uh, for cellular functions. Uh, This also provides a kind of hydrophobic barrier to passive diffusion. Now for Virtually all bacteria lack membrane-bound organelles. Uh, chromosomes, again, are generally circular, double-stranded DNA. Uh, there are exceptions, as I mentioned, there are for virtually everything we're gonna talk about. And these include things like uh, linear uh, chromosomes uh, or multiple circular chromosomes. Uh, their gene structure differs completely from the eukaryotes. Um, they virtually, all bacteria lack introns, and they may be what's termed monocistronic, where you have a promoter region that drives expression of one gene, or polycystronic, and these are termed operons. Okay, This is where you have one promoter that may drive six or seven different genes. And as you would suspect, these six or seven genes are usually related to each other, okay? They form some kind of larger complex. So this is the bacteria's way of making sure it, it gets uh, you know the correct number of these molecules to form complexes. Okay, um, replication of the DNA There's a single DNA polymerase. Uh, Transcription uses only one RNA polymerase. Okay, so this is very different than eukaryotes. Pole one, pole two, pole three. Um, The bacterial RNA polymerase uh, may only be a single molecule, but it has uh, what are called alternate sigma factors. And what these are is they bind to the bigger RNA polymerase complex at one region. And this region affects where the polymerase binds. Okay, so they have different classes of of genes uh, that are controlled by these sigma factors. And what they do is they alter where the RNA polymerase binds. Again, bacterial translation... Uh, it's common to all bacteria. It's coupled to transcription, as I showed you. When you start transcribing a gene, you start translating it at the same time. Uh, bacterial ribosomes uh, are 70S ribosomes, and they consist of a 16S and 23S subunits. Okay, So th- they're different than um, eukaryotic. Now, one of the reasons that I want to emphasize in this, by pointing out differences between them, it becomes very important in terms of treating bacterial disease. Okay, So, for example, uh, there are many antibiotics that are aimed at 70S ribosomes. And the reason you can use them is they don't affect 80S ribosomes. And we'll see that over and over uh, in terms of some of the common components of bacteria that the host can use uh, to distinguish between itself and bacteria, in general, bacterial pathogens. um, But also, uh, we can develop antibiotics based on differences between these. And another key feature that I'll mention several times is uh, a number of these components that are only found in bacteria are used by the host innate and adaptive immune system to say, you know, this component is only found in bacteria. Therefore, if we mount an immune response against it, it'll strictly kill the bacteria and not host cells. Okay, the Gram stain. This is the very basic sort of thing you learn in bacteriology. It's basically where you take bacteria, fix them to a slide, and then you apply this crystal violet dye. Okay, So it stains everything this kind of purple color. The second step is... You use a mordant in, okay, in this case it's iodine. And what happens is this alters uh, the permeability of one of the cell types. So you then wash with alcohol, okay, and these, what are term, gram negative cells, uh, are permeabilized. You then counter stain using saffronine. Okay, so here we see some examples. For example, E. coli is a gram-negative bacteria and streptococcus pneumonia is a gram-positive. So, the dark purple and bacilli are the strep pneumonia, whereas the long rod-shaped pink staining organisms are E. coli. Okay, uh, here we see an example with um, a Vibrio in the mix. Okay, so we see uh, gram-positive rods uh, and these kind of funny-shaped, comma-shaped gram-negative bacteria. So this could be Vibrio cholera or any number of Vibrios. Okay, so this is the, the central kind of diagnostic method uh, used to classify bacteria. Okay, so the difference between gram positive and gram negative has to do with what's termed the peptidoglycan layer. Okay, so in gram positive bacteria, uh, we have a peptidoglycan layer that's in green here. And underneath that is the cytoplasmic membrane. Whereas in gram-negative bacteria, uh, we have the the cell membrane, and then we have a layer of peptidoglycan, and then we have a second membrane, which is termed the outer membrane. Okay, And in between the outer membrane... um, and the peptidoglycan layer is what's termed the periplasm, or the periplasmic space. Okay, so this is very general. Uh, some of the exceptions to this rule, uh, for example, mycoplasma, which completely lack cell wall. Uh, mycobacteria, for example, mycobacteria tuberculosis, uh, is also very different. That it it does not stain gram-positive or gram-negative. And that's because it has a a very, very hydrophobic outer leaflet. And you have to use a a very uh, more difficult method to stain uh, these bacteria. And it's called acid-fast staining. Okay, so we'll go back to this general sort of and we'll go through some of the differences. Okay, we've talked about peptidoglycan as being the major difference in the Gram stain. Okay, so here is the peptidoglycan layer. Uh, In Gram positives, here we see the peptidoglycan layer. Okay, it's a layer that is a polymer Essentially made from two different sugar side uh, sugar groups and uh, an extension of a small peptide. Okay, so peptidoglycan itself—oops, let's see—is actually made. Okay, so this is basically the bacterial membrane. Peptidoglycan is made inside the bacterial cell. And then it's transported by this lipid carrier here, lipid tube, and it's flipped to the outside, okay? So this is the outside of the bacteria. Now, peptoglycan is unique to bacteria. It forms this kind of highly um, cross-linked polymer, and these are made by Uh, what are called penicillin-binding proteins. Okay, so you can see this unique cell wall uh, is made by basically penicillin-binding proteins. So this is, um, you know, one of the sort of first antibiotics was directed at this cell wall because there's no equivalent to this in eukaryotes. Okay, as I mentioned, uh, these molecules, well, first of all, they're targets of an important class of antibiotics, but they're also important, what are termed, pathogen-associated molecular patterns. And I'm pretty sure you touched on this in your cell biology. Um, Pathogen-associated molecular patterns are things that are only associated with bacterial pathogens. And they're recognized by what are called the toll-like receptors. Okay, so uh, they're different toll-like receptors and they recognize some of these unique compounds that are only found in bacteria. Okay, just to give you a, a, okay, a, a little more idea of uh, what this polymer looks like. Uh, Basically, it's composed of these two sugars, N-acetylmeramic acid and N-acetylglucosamine. The sugars are joined by a penicillin-binding protein in what's called the transglycosylation reaction. Okay, so this is hooking sugar head group to sugar head group, alternately. This is followed by cross-linking by a different penicillin binding protein in a transpeptidation reaction. Okay, so the sugars are linked in this direction and the peptides are linked in the other direction. Okay, so you have a polymer in this direction and a polymer in that direction. And in general, This is the molecule that provides uh, the structural support for the cell wall. Okay, just to kind of illustrate a little more, uh, this is peptidoglycan cross-linking in gram-negative bacteria. Okay, so here you see the two sugars. Here you see uh, these um, small peptide-links molecules. And what happens during the cross-linking by penicillin-binding protein is that one amino acid is linked to a D-alanine. And this reaction is driven by the release of this uh, end D-alanine. And the way this works is you get these uh, polymeric chains and they're laid down and then cross linked to each other. Okay, so you have the sugars in this direction and the peptides in this direction. And this forms all around the outside of the bacteria. Whereas in gram-positives, it's a little more uh, complicated. Here you have the same two sugars and here you have the, the peptide and then you have another peptide chain in the other direction. Now, these are cross-linked um, in a similar kind of way, but now it's cross-linking from the glycine to the d and that releases this, which drives the reaction. Okay? Now, what happens is in gram positives, uh, this is a much more stable structure. So, peptidoglycan forms a rigid but porous, as you can see, molecules can still get through that structure, uh, component of both gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria of the cell wall. And the cross-linking is due to penicillin binding proteins uh, that perform transglycosylation and transpeptidation. Now, the difference is gram-positive peptidoglycan is much more extensively cross-linked and is much thicker than gram-negative peptidoglycan. So in gram-positives, there's generally at least 40 layers of these polymers um, compared to about one or two layers in gram-negative. Okay, so uh, for example, Staph aureus, the peptidoglycan cell wall layer is probably 40 times thicker than E. coli. Uh, peptidoglycan synthesis, if you think about it a bit, is actually a key component in cell division. Okay, It forms this rigid structure. So when the cell wants to divide, it has to start Making a rounded end instead of a rod-shaped, okay. And what we'll see is that's actually a fairly complicated process. Uh, lysozyme, which is a uh, um, a molecule that's you know found in the oral cavity and other places, uh, hydrolyzes the sugar bonds in peptidoglycan, and therefore it disrupts the structure. Therefore, it's an important antibacterial, uh, in particular against gram-positive organisms. And again, it's found in tears, saliva, uh, and lysosomes of monocyte macrophage uh, immune cells. Okay, so now let's move on to another component, uh, the outer membrane. And remember that the outer membrane is only found in gram-negative bacteria. Okay, and it forms this second membrane outside of the cytoplasmic membrane. Uh, This is just a sort of cartoon structure uh, showing... The, the inner membrane, or cytoplasmic membrane, the periplasmic space, and then the outer membrane. Okay, the outer membrane is an asymmetric membrane, in, in that on the outer leaflet, it contains a molecule called LPS. Um, it, the membrane itself forms another permeability barrier with a diffusion limit of about 600 Dalton's. Okay, so uh, it'll allow things like salts and small sugars to move through it, but not bigger things like proteins. Uh, It contains important transporters. Uh, They move nutrients in both directions across the membrane. Uh, It contains important proteins that basically control the interaction of the bacteria with its environment. Okay, so this is the very outside of the bacteria. So any interactions it has with other cells or just the environment in general is controlled through these molecules. And, but this only applies to gram-negative bacteria. It contains LPS. Again, this is another important pathogen-associated molecular pattern. There's no molecule like LPS in eukaryotes. Uh, This is recognized by um, toll-like receptor four Uh, in conjunction with an LPS-binding protein, CD14, and the adapter, MD2. Now, this molecule is the cause of what's called endotoxic shock. Okay? And what that means is that it's a molecule that's recognized by the immune system and induces inflammation. And this is kind of a structure of what LPS looks like. It's the outer leaflet of the outer membrane. Uh, it's responsible for a permeability barrier. Uh, it's termed the O-antigen. And that's from the German "ohm" without, which I don't understand what that means either. But um, what you'll see is is that these, a number of these antigens are used to classify bacteria. Um, so, for example, you've probably heard of E. coli, O157H7, okay? And the O means uh, that it has a certain kind of LPS, and that's how they use to identify uh, the strain. Uh, it basically has... Oligosaccharides on the very outside, almost always, but there are exceptions to that. Uh, These uh, molecules are highly variable. Uh, In terms of referring to the bacteria, they often have the ability to either make this or not make it. Uh, When they make it, they're termed smooth bacteria. That means they have an O-antigen. When they're termed rough, that means they don't make this antigen. Uh, And this results in what's called antigenic variation. So a population of pathogens may be expressing different sugar molecules on their outside, uh, which leads to problems with the uh, adaptive immune system responding to them. Uh, LPS has what's termed a core polysaccharide, uh, it's essential for growth, it's highly conserved, and it has unique carbohydrates. Uh, he, that's this short region right here, and it contains a molecule called KDL, 2-keto 3-deoxyctonic acid. And again, this is only found in bacteria LPS. Uh, it also contains a number of heptose uh, sugar molecules. Uh, the last portion here, the portion that's basically found in the membrane, which this yellow is, is supposed to indicate, is what's called lipid A. And this is uh, acylated glucosamine disaccharide. Okay, So this di- disaccharide, uh, it's phosphorylated. Uh, and this is what's termed endotoxic. This is the active kind of part of the molecule in terms of causing endotoxic shock. It's a very potent inflammatory mediator and again it causes endotoxic shock. Okay, let's move on now to um, uh, another component of the outer membrane in gram-negative bacteria. And these are termed porin proteins. Okay, so uh, these molecules are only found in the outer membrane. Okay, and what they do is they allow for specific voltage gated trans- movement of things like sugars, ions, and amino acids. Okay, so. In this hydrophobic barrier are these molecules called porins that form essentially controlled holes in the membrane. So their general structure involves what's called anti-parallel beta sheets that form what's called a beta barrel. And this is kind of a side view of a porin. okay? So this would be the periplasmic space, this would be the outside of the bacteria. And so we're looking at it this way, and the way these things work is they have these uh, beta barrels in which the outside of these strands have hydrophobic residues, whereas the inside of the strands have hydrophilic residues. Okay, so what that means is the outside of this structure interacts with the phospholipids and the LPS in the outer membrane, but it forms an internal hydrophilic channel for moving charged molecules through it, Um, so basically explain that here. These molecules virtually always trimerize in the outer membrane. And if you look at this lower picture, uh, what you see are three of these, okay? And this is the trimeric structure. Again, um, you can see the internal hydrophilic channels uh, and the kind of external hydrophobic regions. Um, now, the way these work is they ge- generally have a kind of cap region. And what they do, um, is they respond to substrates in a voltage-gated manner. So it makes a voltage gradient between the outside of the bacteria and the periplasmic space. And what this does, uh, When the channel opens, it allows for things like amino acids to come through. Now, one thing about these proteins in gram-negative bacteria is they are virtually always the most (coughs) abundant protein in the bacteria. In other words, the outer membrane is full of these. Okay, And if you do a kind of proteomic analysis, what you'll find is these molecules are virtually always the single largest mass in the bacteria. Now the fact that they're so common and they're right at the surface of the bacteria uh, makes them kind of primary vaccine candidates. Uh, One thing about them is they're also found in mitochondria and chloroplasts. Okay? since um, these cellular organelles are basically distantly related to an ancient bacteria, well, two different families of bacteria. Um, They have retained these molecules and they function in, for example, energy generation in, in the mitochondria. Okay, now let's move on to Uh, other things that are found uh, that basically are proteinaceous and they extend from the surface of the bacteria. These include what are termed uh, flagella a flagellum is one protein and pili or as in England they call them finri don 't know why, but flagella is the part of the bacteria that 's responsible for motility they're generally long whip like structures that rotate and they generate bacterial motility in both gram positive and gram negative okay so uh, basically uh, what you see. Are, are these long strands uh, that are encoded, are basically made of um, single molecules of flagellin? Okay, but there are many thousands uh, in this polymer. And the way they work is essentially they're rooted in the bacterial uh, cell wall and outer membrane. And what this is, is a motor, basically, that drives this, what's termed the hook region, and results in spinning of the flagell. Okay, they're responsible for what's called chemotaxis, And what that means is bacteria have sensors that allow them to move towards nutrients and away from Toxins, And the way that works is that these sensors control which direction the flagella moves. And I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, There's many types of flagella. Uh, They're used as diagnostic tools. And again, their abundance and surface localization make them primary vaccine targets. So these are long protein structures that extend out from the bacteria. So a perfect target for vaccines. Uh, flagellin is termed the H antigen for the German hawk. Uh, and again, as I showed you before, um, this is an enteropathogenic E. coli that um, hopefully nobody's had direct experience with but it causes very serious um, disease and is classified as 0157H7 okay so that means it has a type of LPS that's termed 157 and it has a type of flagellum that's termed 7 okay so Uh, this is the way they keep track of, you know, uh, epidemiologically, what's actually happening in terms of food poisoning. Okay, so in terms of different types of arrangements, you can have monotrichus, as seen in Vibrio, paratrichus, which is seen in uh, E. coli and others, where you have flagella coming off all over, lofotrichus, Rhodospirillum, where you have multiple flagella that come out one end of the bacteria. Or Amphitricus, Acetid spirillum, where you have flagella basically that come out both ends. Okay. So I don't have the real description of how you move here. I remember I took that out. But it's... Just to summarize it briefly, what I'll say is um, the way the bacteria works if it rotates the flagellum counterclockwise, it moves forward. Okay? And that's called a run. But then if it flips and turns the flagella the other way, it stops and it just, it's called a tumble. Okay? So it's got two phases depending on which direction the flagella moves. It can either go forward or just stop. And what it does, if it's moving towards, say, glucose, it'll take long runs, short stops. Okay? A long run, short stop. But if it's moving towards something that is toxic for it, okay, say a low pH or something, It'll take a short run and a tumble. And then every time after a tumble it changes directions randomly. And so it, it just kind of zigzags around, you know, hopefully moving in the general direction of nutrients and away from toxic components. Uh, you know, you're not responsible for that, but I just in my other micro lectures, I generally explain that. Okay, fimbriate or pili. These are molecules that extend. And this is the flagellum, remember, that spins in either direction. And pili or fimbriate are generally shorter structures. They're composed of, uh, you know, pilin subunits, and they're thought to be. Involved in bacterial attachment, well, they're not thought to be, they're known to be, uh, attachment to things like uh, human cells. Okay? Um, they're used for adherence by both gram-positive and gram-negative. They have a major protein component called pilin that forms the projection. But, almost always, they have another protein at the tip of the projection, that's the adhesive. Okay, so if this pill, pili uh, extends out from the bacteria, right at the very end, will be a different protein, and that protein's involved in binding to, for example, a host cell. It uh, binds to other bacteria and mammalian cells. Um, some pili have what's called type 4 pili, have a retraction mechanism. So, this retraction mechanism, uh, basically the pili adhere to a cell and then they start to kind of break down the pili. And what this does is it moves the bacteria into contact with the host cell. Um, Other pili are involved in What's called bacterial conjugation. Uh, that's where they attach to another bacterium and they transfer a plasmid through this uh, pil- pili. Uh, they're very common in bacterial pathogens. Again, they control the binding of, of bacteria to the host cell. Um, they're also involved in antigenic variation. Okay, Again, that's... Um, you know, you'll have one type of pili, and it'll switch. It'll make another type of pili. It still does the same thing, okay, but it's a different protein component. So therefore, the immune system doesn't recognize it. Uh, they're also involved in what's called transformation, or DNA uptake, in certain bacterial species. Okay. Now we're going to talk just briefly about something called a capsule. And this is generally a carbohydrate-like material that's found on the very outer surface of the bacteria. Okay, or it's also termed a glycocalyx. And they're carbohydrate-rich and they form a coating on some bacteria. Um, They're termed the capsule antigen, which is K from the German capsule. Uh, And they're composed of repeating carbohydrate subunits that form this kind of thick layer. And they're covalently attached to lipids in the cell wall membrane. Um, This exopolysaccharide or slime layer is just a different kind of version of that uh, the slime layer is generally carbohydrate, but it may contain some protein and lipids. It's loosely attached to the cell wall and often comes away from the bacteria. So, for example, pseudomonas produces this uh, in terms of alginate in lungs of people who have cystic fibrosis, okay, which gives them you know, the problem sort of breathing and exchanging gases. Uh, they're generally thought to, one, prevent desiccation, but they also act as virulence factors in bacterial pathogens. Now, they're anti due to the basically inflated size of the bacteria, but they're also resistant to things like complement-mediated lysis. And if we look here, uh, this is a Klebsiella pneumonia bacterium and it's surrounded by this carbohydrate structure. And what you can see is that this greatly, you know, magnifies the size of the bacteria by about 50-fold. So, when a macrophage comes along, it has a lot more difficulty sort of engulfing. But the second aspect, the resistance to complement, what you can see is this becomes the kind of false surface of the bacteria. So when you get complement deposition out there, the membrane attack complex is too far from the bacterial cell wall to actually kill the bacteria. Okay? It's just sort of sterically um, blocked from doing any damage. So these are important uh, virulence determinants. Okay, we am um, going to go in a little bit to bacterial cell division. But I think what I'll do now is maybe take a break. People want? Okay, because the next section is basically uh, bacterial cell division. Guys, final exam. Okay. Is it fifth? Yep, yep. Steven, I can smell your sandwich. Bro, I cannot. I can. That's pretty impressive. Uh, I can. <laughs> um, I'm sitting here, I'm like, where's that cannibal? Jesse, you have a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> while you were running the board getting just i you not fall the seven now yeah. supposed to be 10 <laughs> like well, classes yeah. No, because we no, don't have to no, sign no, no. no, really the crane. Yeah, there's one of that's supposed to be a Okay, I No, they change the things The name is not know. I I do how they I do I I oh know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a 2 <laughs> <So, laughs> for Yeah, you yeah, said a I think I better better It was, it was good. good. It was, uh, I was. You what? When did you watch well, I, I just want to see if I got it So see now this is one of those things you could have told me you did, but I asked what you were doing for three days in Boston, and all I did was I was out. Yeah, I just it. I've seen 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 it. i see. the I'm not to play I was going Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. Um, we just have the number like yeah, 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 that you. yeah. you're supposed to do like because I email I it. So like how you you can't no you can't oh I have I have made I have Okay, Okay, uh, I think we'll get started for, you know, the next, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, uh, talking about bacterial replication and cell division. Okay, so basically when bacteria divide they generally use what's called binary fission. Okay, And what that means is the cell uh, essentially divides into two uh, almost equal kind of parts. Okay, With a chromosome in each uh, cytoplasmic components split between the two. But it's actually a little more complicated than that, how things actually work. Okay, this is just something that uh, I threw in here. Uh, this is Haemophilus influenza chromosome. It was the first bacterial genome sequenced in 1995. Okay, now there are probably hundreds of thousands of these. So this kind of, uh, in terms of next generation sequencing, what have you, has been an extremely rapidly moving uh, field of study of bacteria. And this just shows you that there's, you know, all different sizes. For example, this is the organism I work on. It just has a tiny genome compared to pseudobonus, for example, which has a very large bacterial genome. Okay, so bacteria divide... By binary fission, for the most part, okay. Uh, what that means is the bacteria essentially grows and replicates its chromosome, okay. To gets to the point where it has two complete chromosomes, then it starts to form this division septum, okay. And here is where it has to decide where it's going to divide, but it also has to change, for example, peptidoglycan enzymes so that they form this kind of septum uh, that results in two different cells. Uh, now these cells go on and begin to divide themselves, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you can see that the time course here is extremely rapid, okay, compared to virtually any kind of uh, eukaryotic system. For example, E. coli, under the right conditions, um, can replicate itself in 20 minutes. Okay, and what this means, you have generation or doubling times, that's the time required for completion of the cycle. So for example, uh, this is, one shown here, is 30 minutes. With bacteria, it varies from minutes to months, uh, depending on the organism itself, what kind of conditions, you know, carbon sources. And it results in what's called exponential growth. So, cell number equals 2n, where n are the number of generations. Okay, so instead of a kind of arithmetic accumulation of bacteria, you get what's called a logarithmic. Uh, Growth. Okay, just basically we'll go over this, the the bacterial growth curve. Uh, Initially, we have what's called the lag phase. And this is basically environmental adaptation. Okay, so the bacteria have to sense what's in the environment, what kind of carbon sources are out there, what kind of genes they need to express to utilize them. Uh, And this is followed by the exponential growth phase, also termed the log phase. Okay, this is where you get maximum growth rate, shortest generation times. Uh, It's dependent on all kinds of different things with different bacteria, uh, depending on temperature, nutrients, osmolarity, pH, what have you. Okay, this is then followed by what's called the stationary phase where the bacteria, um, there's basically equal bacterial death with replication. And this results from running out of nutrients, for example, or the accumulation of toxic material. So in other words, when the bacteria are metabolizing, they may be producing things like acid or something like that, to the point where once they reach a certain number of bacterial cells, uh, they essentially stop replicating like this. And then this is followed by what's called uh, the death or logarithmic decline phase. And that's where death exceeds growth. And this is almost always the result of toxic levels of bacterial waste. Uh, but also some bacteria have a built-in kind of apoptotic analogous system it's called autolysis okay where bacteria begin to lice and release components for the growth of other bacteria okay now the key to this process is um, basically the location of where the division septum is going to be Okay, so initially you get DNA replication uh, with associated enzyme complexes. Ori C, which is bacterial divide in circular uh, chromosomes, they have an origin region, okay, at one point. And what happens is you get replication in both directions that then meets in what's called the termination region, okay? So the origin uh, initially moves to the pole of the cell, okay? So uh, what this means is this is the start of the chromosome. This is the end. You get elongation of the cell, and as you're replicating the chromosomes, The other origin goes the opposite pole of the cell. Now uh, comes the crucial part, and this is the formation of the Z-ring. So, once these chromosomes are replicated and dissociated, uh, they're aligned and ready uh, for division, and this protein, which is the bacterial homologue of tubulin, Tubulin um, controls where this division septum is going to be. Um, it sounds very simple, but it's actually quite complex. There are two systems that essentially act to uh, displace FTSC. Okay, the bin CDE system and the nucleoid occlusion system, and the result of these two systems, which we'll look at in just a bit, is that FtsZ forms at this <coughs> basically the center of the elongated cell. Uh, the uh, FtsZ then recruits a large family of other proteins, which begin the formation. Of this septum, and there, you, the completion of this results in uh, septal division, and it involves peptidoglycan modification, invagination, and cell separation. So this protein is very interesting. It's highly conserved in bacteria. Virtually every bacteria has this protein, uh, and it's found in some Uh, archaea. It's the first protein to localize to the site of cell division. Um, It also plays this role of mitochondria. It binds and hydrolyzes GTP, leading to self-assembly into into filaments. But these don't look like microtubules. Um, The N-terminus and variable spacer in the protein the spacers down here, Uh, they're unknown functions. But the core region is the region that has homology to tubulin and binds GTP. Uh, The C-terminus is responsible for association uh, with other proteins. In other words, it forms a platform um, for construction on the septal plane. in some interesting imaging studies, it's found that FTSZ oscillates between the bacterial cell poles. And this is kind of a, a time course. And let's see, did I take that slide out too? I guess I did. But what happens is the MIN CDE system basically moves from one pole of the cell to the other pole of the elongated cell. And what it does is it prevents FTSC from forming filaments at the pole of the cell. In other words, you know, that's exactly what you wouldn't want. In other words, if you formed a septal uh, plane at the end of the cell, You know, the mother cell would have two chromosomes and the daughter cell would have none. Okay. So what it does is it chases FTSZ away from the poles of the cell and makes sure it stays kind of in the middle. Okay. Now, the nucleoid occlusion proteins I haven't put on here, but if you can imagine, you have one chromosome here and one chromosome here. And the other thing you don't want is for the plane to form over the chromosome. It causes what's called guillotining and it cuts the chromosome in half. So these two systems work to basically exclude FTSZ. So the the only place it can uh, form filaments is right in the center of the cell. And this just shows you that, the the, the sort of process. Uh, FDSZ forms then it binds these other proteins that are involved in uh, the septal plane. And then you get the contraction signal with the uh, plane, or the, you get invagination at the center. And this is a fairly complex process. Uh, Following this, you get disassembly of the Z ring and these other proteins, uh, resulting in separation of these two cells. Oh, I forgot I got it in the wrong order. Okay. To look at this, what they used were FTSC GFP. And basically they found that FTS goes from pole to pole as this kind of protofilament here. Okay, so uh, the min CDE system makes sure that it doesn't form filaments there and it doesn't form filaments here. Um, this system, which is shown in pink, also oscillates from pole to pole. Okay, so you see it it's here, then it moves to the other pole, it moves back. And this is actually uh, quite interesting to look at because you can see these systems just kind of bouncing back and forth. Again, min-CDE prevents cell division of the poles. Uh, when you make mutations in these genes, you find that the cells produce what are called mini-cells. Okay, and exactly as I was talking about. They form the septal plane too near the end of the cell. So one cell has a chromosome and the other cell does not. Okay, they're interesting kind of uh, biological tools because you can get basically a bacterial cytoplasm and cell wall structure with no chromosome. Uh, The nucleoid occlusion inhibition, um, these are called knock proteins, these are yellow, okay, and they bind to the chromosome, more or less non-specifically. And so you can see that the yellow region here uh, is basically sitting over the replicated chromosomes. And so it prevents the z formation over the nucleus. And it prevents this guillotining process. Okay, so the fellowship of the ring. FTSD basically begins an ordered recruitment of cell division proteins. There are ten proteins essential for cell division. Uh, these were first discovered as temperature-sensitive mutants. So all virtually all the genes are called FTS. And what that means is filamentation temperature sensitive. So if you make a mutation in one of these genes, you get these very long extended filaments of E. coli. And that's because they can't bud off to form uh, these sort of normal sized cells. the Z-ring itself contracts to form the septal division plane uh, through a complex that interacts with the cytoplasmic membrane and the peptidoglycan layer. Okay, you're not responsible for, <laughs> you don't, this level of kind of content. It's essentially the idea that FTSZ is the, is the central player and it forms a scaffold that brings together these proteins that are involved in building the setup. Uh, so, just in terms of where these things are found, uh, FDSC is shown in all these in green, and the related Z ring structures are found in prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Again, they're highly conserved in bacteria and some archaea, uh, but certain bacteria actually lack this protein. (coughs) And they have very unusual cell division um, processes. Now, chloroplasts use Z-rings. They have two FDSC-like proteins acting in conjunction with a dynamin-like membrane GTPase ring Uh, Mitochondria, again these are distantly related to bacterial ancestors, use C-rings. They're only found in primitive eukaryotes, animals, fungi, and higher plants, lack FTSC. They act in conjunction with a dynamin-like ring. Okay, so most mitochondria have this. In primitive eukaryotes, they have an even more extensive Z-ring. Other plastids use this in conjunction with a dynamon-like ring. Uh, And virtually all bacteria uh, use a Z-ring to essentially set the positioning of the septal plane. Okay, and this... I'm not going to bother going through this. You you can read as well as I can or better. Um, This just summarizes the kind of overall picture in terms of the difference between prokaryotes and eukaryotes. And they're the things you expect. No nuclear membrane, true nucleus. um, But just have a familiarity um, with this list. Okay? In a general sense. So, here are some uh, sample questions. Um, You can look at those. Again, I'm not going to ask a direct sample question. Okay? (laughs) But if you know these things, um, you'll be fine. Okay. Okay. Any questions? Yeah. Um, could you clarify whether PILI are on um, both types of gram positive and gram negative bacteria or only gram negative? Both types. Both types. Okay, yep. because you had a diagram you showed several times with the gram positive on the left and, gram-positive, and yeah. right only the negative on the right. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of like that picture, maybe five okay. years old. And they find new Pili every month. Any others? Okay. So, when's the last lecture again? I I shouldn't know. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday <laughs> is the last lecture. Yep, Friday the Next Friday, not this Friday. Yeah, I'm so going to this Friday. i are going be here. Absolutely. <laughs> Show up. <All> <laughs> i think it's one to four on the Friday. I had a question actually, similar to his. Uh, in the same picture, it showed the is it mesosomes or mesosomes only yes. on one side? They both form, gram okay. negative, gram positive, or is only? Uh, that's a more difficult one. Okay. Those are, yeah, those are like the exceptions okay. to the rules. All right. Okay. They're not well characterized.